incredible Japanese art form, and I'll probably mess up the name, but uh, Kentsuji. Kentsuji is, is this art form that really the word means golden joinery. And what they do is they take broken pieces of pottery, so bowls, cups, and the like, and while most people would discard this broken pieces of pottery, they actually take these pieces, these artists, and they put them back together using a special kind of golden resin glue. And when they glue it back together, it is stronger and even more beautiful than when originally created. And so I actually have a picture of that, so you can actually see a picture here. And so just a beautiful piece of art. And I love that because their belief is that there is beauty in brokenness. And that when the pieces are being put together, a couple things happen. That it is stronger than ever before, but also each piece becomes unique. And the reason I love this as an art form is because I think it's also a picture of what God does through us. That if you've ever felt broken, if you felt overwhelmed, if you felt like God can't use you, God actually puts us back together. And when he puts us back together, we are stronger than ever before. And that there is beauty even in the middle of your brokenness. And so what I want to speak to today is that, you know, we're singing, we're decking the halls, we're having fun, everything's great. But I want to speak to those who are hurting today. Those that maybe put a brave face on and you came into this room or you're struggling, you're watching online as you're working through some stuff. But I want to speak into that brokenness, into that struggle, into the, the quietness, because I think God speaks into that. And there is hope this Christmas season that we don't have to put our best foot forward for the world to see and approve of, but that in our brokenness, God puts us back together. And, and really, there's beauty in that. This morning's message is entitled, Missing Peace. And it's a play on words because I think some of us feel like we've put together the puzzles of our lives and we feel like we're missing a few pieces. But I think what it is at the core is that we are actually missing peace that comes from God and God alone. You see, the definition of peace is complete, whole, and restored. Complete, whole, and restored. There's two words for peace in Scripture. We see the Hebrew word shalom and then the Greek word arene. In shalom, you might have heard that phrase, is, is a common Jewish phrase, which really means peace. And now it's used to mean a number of different things. So actually in scripture, it, it's described at one point as a stone of shalom, meaning that there was a complete or a, a rock without cracks, right, to be completed there too. You could also use it as a greeting. Why would then we go into the New Testament where Paul is oftentimes in his letters is like great grace and peace to you. There is an opportunity to make peace, to restore a relationship, right, when something is brought back together. And so this picture of peace is this one of restoration, of putting together, and of wholeness. And another way to think about it is that the opposite of peace, or a feeling of anxiety, actually means to be pulled apart. So to have peace is to be brought together together. To be anxious is to be pulled in multiple different directions. And so the heartbeat of Christmas is that the arrival of Jesus is the arrival of peace. So if you're taking notes, you can write down our big idea for today, 
is that within the chaos and complexity of life, Christ makes us complete. Within the chaos and complexity of life, Christ makes us complete. Now, where does this come from? We've been walking through the Christmas story every week through the month of Advent, and we've been reading the same story found in Luke chapter 2. And in week 1, we discussed how Jesus brings with him hope, and that hope is tied to our expectations, and our expectations influence our experience. In other words, if you place your hope in anything other than Jesus, it's going to impact your experience this Christmas. Then last week, along with the cute kids musical, we preached through the theme of joy, that joy is more than a feeling, it's actually a focus. And so that even when you don't have a smile on your faith, joy can give you strength to your soul. And that the angels to the shepherd delivered good news of great joy. And that joy is based in the fact that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. So we continue our story, and after the proclamation by the angels, he's, the angel is then surrounded by other angels. And so we pick it up here in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the arrival of Jesus brings the arrival of peace. Now what's interesting is that this promise of peace was predicted or prophesied over roughly 700 years prior by a guy named Isaiah. Now Isaiah, who was seen as a major prophet, not because he was more important than others, but just because his letter is a lot longer. And so he's got this really long letter in the Old Testament, and he is basically a warning sign to the people of Israel. Think about that light that pops on in your dashboard, you know, the one that you've been ignoring. You know, are there, well, quick, quick show of hands here. Are there people in the room who, as soon as they see a warning light, they take their car in and get it checked out? Anybody? All right. If you see the warning light and you're just like, ah, I'm sure it's fine. Anybody? Okay. Yeah, that's me, right? I wait for like the second or third light to come on. It's like, okay, now something is wrong. Okay. Well, this Isaiah is the warning light for the people of Israel. They've been very disobedient. It's a very pagan culture. It's a very worldly culture. There is extreme diversity, but in a way of spiritual worship and, and struggle over power. And so the people of Israel are going to be taken over by the Assyrians, and the people of God are going to later be taken over by the Babylonians. And so for the most part, for most of the letter, he's like, hey, stop doing that. You're disobeying God. Judgment is coming. But in the middle of all of that, he also promises hope and salvation. And so in the middle of all this disobedience, in the middle of all this darkness that is the world, we can hang on to hope because God is coming and he's going to provide a better way. And so in the middle of this darkness, in the middle of this world that seems more divided than ever, the same message of hope comes and it was predicted 700 years before the coming of Jesus, we find this verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I want to pause there because they were in a upheaval over government, and the Syrians and Babylonians were about to take over, and so there's this, all this overthrowing and struggle for power and so I don't think it's a coincidence that he says, hey, the government is going to actually be on his shoulder. 
So not that the shoulder is going to be on the government, but rather that someone's going to come that all the weight of the world can rest on his shoulders and he can handle it. And so he gives this imagery here. He says, well, rest upon his shoulder. He says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So we are given four descriptive names of Jesus. And actually, some translations put a comma between wonderful and counselor. So some will even say uh, five names because he's just all-encompassing wonderful. I like two words together and other translations put in. So we're going to do four, okay? And so we're going to break down these four names of Jesus because what happens is that each name describes a different aspect about the character of God. And each one offers in its own right peace for you and for me. And this is a specific prediction and prophecy of the coming of Jesus during Christmas time. And so I think this is still relevant for you and for me right now. So the names of Jesus. So some of this is for me. Some of this is taken from a commentary written by a guy named Warren Wearsby. Excellent commentary there. So we kind of mix this together. We're going to end up with a chart. You can find the chart, again, on downloading the Church Center app, or we'll put it up on the screen. And so what we're going to see with these names, we're going to see the name, the area of impact, and then the actual application of why it matters to you and I today. So the first name, Wonderful Counselor. This impacts our mind, which then helps us with the decisions of life. The fact that Jesus is described as a wonderful counselor shapes our mind and then helps us make decisions. You are not simply a combination of your thoughts, but rather a combination of your decisions. You're making decisions by the thousands every single day. And everyone watching or listening to this message right now is receiving counsel from someone or something. So the question is, whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? The fact that God is described as a wonderful counselor gives us a picture of the advice that we're really longing for. Jesus, in John chapter 14, puts it this way. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Not let, uh, not, uh, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so God offers us his peace. In other words, how many this Christmas could use some peace of mind? How many of you feel like the duck on the pond who says, on the surface seems calm, cool, and collected, but in your head or underneath the water, you're going crazy right now. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever been so mentally drained that you become physically exhausted? You haven't gone anywhere today, and yet you just feel so tired because your mind has run a marathon between all the choices that you have to make, right? Someone said something to you. What did they mean when he said that to me? 
What's the context? What's the tone? I can't tell tone. It was an email. How do I respond? What if I'm in person? I should totally say this. No, I shouldn't say this. But if they say that, then he'll say this. Then we go back and you start going back and forth and you start thinking about their response to your response to their response. Am I tracking with anybody here? It's tiring. So the question then is, where do you get peace of mind and where do you get your counsel? Whose voice are you listening to? I think as Christians... There are four ways to receive God's counsel. Four ways to receive God's counsel. First way Christians can receive God's counsel is by studying his example. Jesus came down to earth not only as the method for salvation, but also the model for us to follow. 1 John 2.6, I believe it says, that those who believe in him shall walk as Jesus walked, or those shall live as Jesus lived. So he gives us a model to follow. Roughly 20, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, uh, it was real popular, the WWJD bracelets. The reason people would wear those bracelets, what would Jesus do? Now, I used to think that's not a fair question, right? Because Jesus is a God. So like if you're hungry and you're like, well, what would Jesus do? Well, he can just make stuff appear. Like that's not a fair question. Except upon further studying of scripture, what you realize is that Jesus never dips into his deity to live out his humanity, meaning he took on the limitations of flesh of a human body. He got tired, he got hungry, he, he was betrayed, he was persecuted. He went through daily life to where we now have a savior that has been tempted, a savior that can empathize with us, a savior that knows the struggles of humanity. And so he goes through this life through the power of the Spirit and actually gives us an example to follow and to live by. And so we can look to the model of Jesus and truly ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? If Jesus were in my situation, how would he respond? What would he say? How would he act? How would he love? How would he serve? So the first way to know God's counsel is to look at the example of Jesus himself. The second way to know God's counsel is to study his word. To study his word. We have the message of God available to us. Hebrews 4.12 describes the word as living and active. I feel like people get so caught up and wondering and worrying what they don't know instead of focusing on obeying what they do know. I silence my phone while I'm preaching, which that makes sense, right? My phone shouldn't be buzzing while I'm up here. But my problem is I forget to uh, change that setting on my phone. And so I'll go through midweek and just repeatedly miss all the calls and so like my wife, who's amazing, and she'll like send me a text message or something and be like, hey, babe, how's your day? Love you, checking on you. Like she's so sweet and just nothing. <laughs> and then I'll get home and be like, babe, why didn't you call me today? It's like, I did. I'm like, you did not. You totally did call me. Yep, yep, that's on me. <laughs> How many of us do that with God? God, I just want to hear from you. If I could just get a word from the Lord. Meanwhile, you've turned the notifications off. He has spoken, and he is speaking. The Bible is not just how God spoke. The Bible is how God speaks, present tense. So we have his example. We have his word. Third, we have his spirit. That passage we just read from John 14 
tells us that the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper, is the one that gives us insight and remembrance into all things within the word. So when you get that nudge, that little tap on the shoulder, the little whisper in your ear to do something, the question then is, well, how do we know if is it, is it my desire or is it the Holy Spirit nudging me? Well, the beautiful thing is that God never contradicts himself. And so what you can do is compare the nudge to the word to the life of Jesus because they're all going to say the same thing. I'm going to add one more in there is that if that nudge is going to lead you to be a little more uncomfortable and requires more faith or a little more sacrifice, it is probably from God. If the focus and that desire ends up being more on self and pride and needs and narcissism that you have, that's, that's going to be you. Are we trusting the Spirit? Are we, trust, are we Spirit-led and Spirit-filled? Spirit-led really being the combination of humility, trust, and obedience. Right? That means I'm, I humble myself. God, you know better than I do. I trust that your ways are better than my ways, and so then I'm going to obey. And Spirit-filled, the fruit of the Spirit, as you see in Galatians 5. And so, so do we lead in this way? Do we live in this way? Or do we run through life and say, God, come follow me. Well, I want it. I'm going to get it now. Go. We have one more way to receive God's counsel, and that's through his people. What's the saying? That you're the average sum of the five closest people in your life? Health, finances, spiritual. Think like, who, who are the people that you surround yourselves with? Do you have some godly people, some mentors in your life that you can ask questions to that can speak into your life? Do you have people that encourage you? Or do you live the American way where you're just going to do what you want, when you want, how you want it, and then you turn around and say, well, if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. That's not what Scripture says. There is wisdom and counsel and godly people around you. And when you put those all together, it doesn't necessarily make the decision easier, but you do have some wisdom and a direction to go. When you have the example of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God all saying the same thing, now you have a step to take. So then the question is, is there an area in your life where you need God's counsel? Is there a decision that you know you need to make, but you're not? Is there a nudging from the Holy Spirit or from his word that you know you need to take, but you're just afraid to or you're hesitant to or you're not sure where to go? If you have a decision to make, can you bring it before God? And trust his example, his word, his spirit, and his people to give you counsel. I think you can. Because the way he describes it is not just wise, right? Because he's a coming of Jesus who is a wise counselor. He's actually a wonderful counselor. (laughs) 
It's beautiful. So much of life feels dull, but yet when you walk in the ways of Jesus, it's wonderful. All right, it's the first name of Jesus. Second name, Mighty God. Same descriptor used in other, used in other places to describe a warrior. This impacts your body, the physical aspect of life, which then helps us with the demands of life. You know, there is the mental energy, but how much of us, how many of us struggle with the physical energy itself, right? We're walking through the battles of everyday life, and so it helps to know that God isn't just a counselor, but a warrior willing to fight the battles for you and with you. How do I know that it's a physical battle? Because Jesus physically came, he physically lived physically died, and physically rose again. Colossians 1, verse 20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, there it is, by the blood of his cross. In other words, Jesus made peace possible by physically dying for us. In the first century, one of the big proponents of Christianity was this group of people called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics separated the spiritual and the physical. And there were two negative ramifications from that. Their first one was that people said, well, they're spiritual and they're physical. They're not connected. So I can believe what I want over here and then I can live and sleep with and do whatever I want over here because they're two completely separate categories. Well, that's not healthy, but that also is prevalent in today's world. How many people go to church on Sunday? Oh, I believe what I want to believe, but I'm going to sleep with who I want to sleep with and live what I want to how I want to live and buy what I want to buy, and it, it, they don't connect because they're spiritual and physical. It doesn't matter. Right? Well, that's not healthy. Then the other side of it is then they separate the two and say, well, everything in the body is bad and only the spiritual matters, so we have to then avoid all things. And so what they did as Gnostics, they didn't deny the existence of Jesus. They denied his authority. Yeah, yeah, Jesus died. Okay, and? Well, no, Jesus came physically to set you free spiritually. And he cares how you live. Right? We know this to be true. We feel things physically, what we're going through emotionally and spiritually, don't we? Right? We're battling fatigue. We're battling illness. We're battling things in this world. But the deepest root of that is a spiritual one that then has a physical outpouring of it. See, the same writer, Paul, writes to the church in Ephesus, writes this in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. What he's saying here is that you might be physically exhausted because you're in a spiritual battle. So to be strong, to physically here put on the armor of God, to fight the battles. We have a God who fights for you and with you and then gives you the peace and the strength to fight. And he starts walking through the different pieces of the armor of God. And we get to verse 15, and it says this. It says, and the shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Peace are your kicks. 
piece of the shoes you got to put on. Your shoes matter. Right, church, how's your shoe game these days? If you've got little ones at home, then you've walked through this battle. How many times have you left the house only realized they didn't wear shoes? I remember dropping off one of my kiddos at preschool, and I'm getting them out of the car seat and just completely bare feet. And I was tempted, like, well, this is how he's going to school today. I was like, oh, he's probably going to think he's homeless. So uh, we went back and got the shoes. And then, of course, you go back to find the shoes, and they're never together, right? One's buried in a closet. The other one's on the top of a tree. And you're like, how is this even possible? And you find yourself wondering, like, how can you leave the house without your shoes on? Well, church, here's the thing. Are you leaving your house without the shoes of peace on your feet? You're trying to go through everyday life, everyday battles without wearing peace. You know, you talk about the negative side of where, okay, where are the shoes? Where are my shoes? Where are my shoes? But when you get new shoes to a little kid, what do they do? Look how fast I am, right? Look, you put on some fresh kicks of God's peace, you're going to be going through your day like, ooh, what can this day bring? What's this? Because <laughs> we have a mighty God who died physically so that you could live spiritually, that we can put on the armor of God, which includes the shoes of peace to help with the different demands of life. Third thing, third name of God. First two, right? Advice, awesome, mighty God, warrior, cool. This next one impacts the heart. Everlasting Father. It helps with the different dimensions of life. Speaks right to the heart. Sometimes we view God simply as the old school football coach. Rub some dirt on it. Get back out there. But when you're hurting, right, you just want to lean in. And this idea of everlasting father gives us a picture of a God who gives his shoulder to cry on. This is unheard of in ancient Near East religion. And really, even today, various forms of religion are this, this God who maybe created the world and then backed off and then was judging it. You think about Greek mythology, like all the different things you got to do to appease the gods, and there's like anger behind it. And don't get me wrong, there's a God of justice, right, and a holy God. But in the Old Testament, you go from where they barely would say the name of God, Yahweh, it almost sounds like a breath, Yahweh comes this prophecy of an everlasting father that in the new testament paul calls him abba like an intimate personal relationship that's why if you've ever heard someone say daddy god in their prayers it sounds off but honestly it's the theologically there we're calling out dad 
The Lord's Prayer. How do we start off? Our Father. Is a personal relationship and a God who can speak to the heart, everlasting, forever. Shortest verse in the Bible, John 11, verse 35. Lazarus had died. People that Jesus cared about, his friends, were mourning the loss of Lazarus. 11.35, Jesus wept. Now the fact that Jesus cried did not make him any less of a man or any less God because a few verses later he defeated death. I think that's pretty cool. But what it did was it shows his heart and that when God sees you hurting, he hurts. So we have a God who cares. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You have a peace almost like the umpire calling balls and strikes in your life. What's coming in? Right? Are you allowing the peace of God to rush over all the emotions, all the feels? You're going to feel up, you're going to feel down, you're going to feel far, you're going to feel close. But the peace that God gives goes beyond that. The rule in your heart, which indeed you were called in one body to be th- and be thankful. Another example of this peace found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You don't have to understand the plan to trust his purpose. You don't have to be anything or have the right answers. That promise is that when literally the world is going to hell and you're in pain and you're hurting or you're questioning or you're doubting, Bringing that before God, he can give you a peace that goes beyond understanding because it guards your heart. And that, like a loving father can say, Daddy's here. Come here. Sometimes when you're hurting, you don't want help. You just want a hug. <laughs> right? And God gives you both. So I love that. He speaks to the heart. So the question is for us then, and I'm not saying let's go be comfortable because God will call you out in faith, but I am asking, is there an area in your life where you need comfort? Where you're hurting? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's betrayal. Maybe it's something that you've done and you need forgiveness. Maybe it's something that someone has done to you and you need to forgive. But in all this emotional kind of under the surface stuff that people are afraid to talk about, you can take to God and he goes, I see you and I'm here. Last name is that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. I think all four of these names have implications with peace, but I think this one goes deeper 
See, we've talked about the mind, we've talked about the body, we've talked about the heart. I think this one really speaks to the deepest core of who we are, our soul. <laughs> our soul. And it helps us with the disturbances of life. Because let me tell you, storms are coming. If they're not, they're already here. And it's not like receive Jesus and then it's all sunny days. And rather, he says, receive Jesus, put on the armor, it's go time. I'm going to give you the strength to carry you through. How do we know this? Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh in the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus himself is our peace. So peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Jesus. And how did he accomplish this peace? How did he make it available? Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The depth of what we need in our soul, this forgiveness of sin, is provided through the sacrifice of Jesus. That he is peace. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of peace. Mark chapter 4, the disciples are in a boat. There's a storm. It's in the middle of the night. A lot of them are fishermen. So how bad does the storm have to be for fishermen to be afraid of their life? And what is Jesus doing? He's taking a nap. My man. Jesus loves leftovers, loves naps. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> He's sleeping. They wake Jesus he speaks and the storm calms down. The disciples still experienced the storm. The difference was that they had Jesus in their boat. Psalm 23, verse 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Everyone's walking through a valley. The difference the reason you don't have to fear evil is because the good shepherd is with you. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So the question we have to ask ourselves at the deepest level is, how's your soul? <laughs> how's your soul? Just think about this for a moment. What was our first definition of peace? Complete, whole, restored. The four names we just gave today impacts our mind, our heart, our soul, our body. You know what happens when you have peace at all four levels? You feel whole and you have peace. So what area do you need peace in your life today? Are you struggling in your mind? Are you stressed out, overwhelmed? Are you physically exhausted in your body? Are you emotionally tapped out? Or at the deepest level, is there is a spiritual unrest in your soul? There is good news for you. Good news of great joy. <laughs> because Jesus has come. Savior and Lord. And with him comes peace.
and it starts with trusting him. So I know you can have peace this Christmas because peace is a person, a person of Jesus. Would you put your faith in him today? Will you pray with me? Dear God, apart from you, life can feel restless and overwhelming and a struggle. But God, you are Savior and your Lord. Because you died on the cross and rose again, I can have peace for my soul. I can have peace in my mind. I can have peace in my body. I have peace in my heart. That you are mighty and fight our battles, and yet you are personal like a father. And you are prince to rule as a king. And in all things, you are wonderful. What Isaiah prophesied 700 years before your coming, 2,700 years before today, still rings true. We put our belief and our trust in you. We commit our lives to you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for giving us everlasting, overcoming, all-powerful peace. That's my prayer for our people today, that we can experience your peace. In your sons, let me pray. Amen.